Hello, everyone. Welcome to Historically Black, a production of APM Reports and The Washington Post. I'm Roxanne Gay. This fall, the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture opened on the Mall in Washington, D.C. As part of its coverage of this event, The Washington Post invited people across the country to send in photographs of objects in their own lives that represent their personal and family connections to Black history. Each week, this podcast spotlights one of those objects and the stories behind it. But hold on. Rather than focus on one person in this episode, we're going to hear from four people. A number of people who submitted an item to The Washington Post talked about how their story of Black history is really about racial identity. These are people who identify themselves as Black or African American and something else, such as African or Native American. Each one has had to ask themselves at one time or another, who am I and what does it mean to be Black? And they've had to answer questions asked by others as well. A lot of times I'm asked like, Oh, you're like, you're really pretty. What do you mix with? I don't have ties to American slavery. I don't have ties to the South. So I would not define myself as African-American. I would define myself as Black. Racial identity in the United States is inherently complicated. Jelani Cobb, who is an historian and staff writer for The New Yorker, says the reason the idea of race is so messy is because it's an invented category, one rooted in slavery. Or the most kind of basic understanding is the one drop rule, wherein people said if a person had any drop of black blood, they were black. And the purposes of that were to present whiteness as a category of purity, and that any tincture of African ancestry would irrevocably taint a person and remove them from the pure category of whiteness. I had a classmate come up to me in college and told me that you talk white, you look white, you're not black enough to be my friend. I think when people say that someone's not black enough, they're almost exclusively talking about culture and group allegiance and group identity. And it's rarely used pejoratively in terms of someone's ancestry, precisely because the overwhelming majority of people who fall into the category of black in the United States have white ancestry. And someone was like, are you adopted? And I was like, no, it's my mom. And they were like, but she's white. And I was like, yeah, because she's my mom. Like, that's the color that she is. And they were like, yeah, but you're not white. And I was like, oh, got it. There's a wide range of ancestries that are included within the category of black. And so the category itself is amorphous. In this episode, we're going to feature four women who have taken on the amorphous category of race and tried to define an identity on their own terms. First up, Marcel Hutchins. The object Marcel submitted to Historically Black is a black and white photograph of her mother, who is from Cameroon. The year is 1989. She is cradling Marcel and her twin sister when they were infants. The young mom has a radiant smile as she holds one tiny girl in each arm. When Marcel was eight years old, she became critically ill and was flown from Cameroon to Portland, Maine for open-heart surgery. Her mother saw better opportunities in Maine and decided to raise her daughters there. She married a white man and the family settled in Bar Harbor. Marcel's biological father is Cameroonian, but Marcel says her white stepdad is her real father. 
she considers his side of the family her family, too. Still, Marcel was sometimes unsure about where she fit in. Growing up, I really struggled with my identity in America. For a long time, I questioned who I was in this, in this world. And I was told by a variety of different people that I didn't fit my birthright, that um, I didn't act the way I should act or the way black people should act. And because of my mannerism, I was too white. I started out being really an exhibit to my classmates in third grade. People didn't really know what Africans do. They assumed that Africans swing from branch to branch, which was a question I was asked. They asked me if my families hunt lions, if we kill elephants. I've never seen an elephant, I've never seen a lion, so to me it was really bizarre. High school, college is where um, people started uh, questioning my blackness. I tried really hard to be someone that I don't think I was, but I wanted I wanted respect from the black community. I had a classmate come up to me in college and told me that you talk white, you look white, you're not black enough to be my friend. And it had a, a negative, negative impact on my life for a long time. I remember this one time I, um, we went to a party in college and we were maybe like the only three, there was like three black girls at the party. And um, somebody had asked us to have a dance off me and her. And so uh, I didn't want to, honestly, it just it, I didn't want to have a dance off. I wanted to just have a conversation with her and not be awkward about it. And I don't think she knows Africans know how to dance. <laughs> when music starts playing, don't touch me. I just went full out and I was declared the winner. And um, she like had respect for me after that. And it was the strangest thing. You know, like the following week, she started being a little nicer to me. You know, she started saying, hey, like, good dance. Like, I love the way you dance on a dance floor. Like, you really have that blackness in you. And I should have been offended, but I think I really wanted to be her friend. I'm really involved with Black Lives Matter. And so I've been a little outspoken um, with everything that was going on in the news. And a lot of my social media posts tend to be about, you know, racism in America and police brutality and just things that are happening in black communities. And my mom said to me, you know, somebody, I'm not going to say who, in your family thinks you're turning your back on your white family. I just laughed and I got really pissed off <laughs> because I felt like I spent a good chunk of my life, my life trying to defend my white family. And now... I'm being questioned whether or not I truly love my white family because I'm talking about racial injustice in America and I'm trying to make people understand. And so is that me turning my back on my white family? Ever since then, I've just really stopped posting more things about things that are happening in black communities. Today, Marcel Hutchins is a multimedia journalist in Boston. Christina Tucker grew up in New Paltz, New York, a predominantly white town in the Hudson Valley. Christina's father is African-American. Her mother is white. 
The object Christina submitted to Historically Black is a jovial Santa Claus that tops her family's Christmas tree each year. He is a black Santa, one of many brown figures that Christina's white mom found over the years to decorate the family home. My brother and I have stocking angel hangers, and they're both brown. Um, She has a bunch of other brown Santas. She found somewhere a brown Mary and Jesus and switched out the white Mary and Jesus that her family's nativity set had. They are like three times the size of the rest of the nativity scene, but she was like, nope, black Mary and black Jesus, that's who's going in. Christina says her mom was trying to give her children an image of themselves that wasn't necessarily reflected in the community around them. Christina feels it was a great thing to do, but she still grew up with some confusion about race. For me, what I saw as normal, what I saw as accepted was still whiteness. So I still kind of felt an unease and a discomfort in figuring out what my blackness meant to me, what I thought black people were, what I thought I should be as a black person. I remember very clearly in fourth grade, I dressed as Professor McGonagall from Harry Potter for Halloween. And a bunch of my classmates were like, well, you can't be McGonagall because you're black. And I was like, what? Yeah, I know I'm like a different color, but like, why couldn't I be this, you know, fictional character who means the world to me? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I think that was like the first moment that I was like, okay, so blackness is A, different, and B, something that has shut me out of access to something that I care about deeply. I think that was kind of the first moment that I felt that in life. Uh, That was one of the first moments. I think actually the first moment was my mom came to pick me up from gymnastics when I was like in kindergarten or first grade. And someone was like, are you adopted? And I was like, no, it's my mom. And they were like, but she's white. And I was like, yeah, because she's my mom. Like, that's the color that she is. And they were like, yeah, but you're not white. And I was like, oh, got it. Having more friends of color was really the linchpin in um, figuring out kind of my racial identity for myself. We used to have Friday night hangouts and we would just kind of talk about, you know, the ways white people tried us during the week and like what we felt exhausted by. And I think that was kind of having a community and having a space to voice those things and say like, oh, this was like a weird conversation I had with somebody at work. And then be like, yeah, that was some white people nonsense. That's just what white people are like. I think all of my friends feel this kind of way that we are often the only people of color in a room. We're the only people who are kind of held up like, oh, you know, we're diverse because of these people. And I think it's only been recently that I've felt comfortable kind of pushing back against that status quo. I remember I was in a meeting and it was me and a bunch of women and like white women and some white men. And someone said like, oh, well, this is a pretty diverse meeting. And I said, you are welcome. And the whole room was like, oh, right. It's just you. It's like, yes. Yeah, it's just me. It's not, we haven't nailed it yet, guys. Like, let's not get too comfortable here. That was Christina Tucker, who works in the Graduate School of Arts and Sciences at Harvard University. Evie Ani was born in New York City, not long after her parents emigrated from Nigeria. The item Ivie contributed to Historically Black was a photograph of her mother as a young professional in Nigeria. She is wearing a brightly colored dress made from traditional Nigerian fabric, along with a matching headband. She just looked like the epitome of style and grace, and she was really young in that photo. 
and she had a jerry curl. <laughs> Ivier says her family lived in several different parts of New York City when she was growing up. Every community they settled in was predominantly black and brown. College was my first experience with non-black and non-brown people. The most white people I have ever been around in my life was in college. And I knew enough about white culture to be able to function in that world. Because when I got to college, I literally said to myself, this is like TV. Because that's all they show on TV. I was watching Friends. I was watching all of that. I think that helped. I think TV helped a lot. I know that Black people who advance in the career world and just advance in life are sometimes told, oh, you're acting white, or you're acting this. Black kids who do well in school, oh, you're acting white. I didn't get that growing up because everything about me is Black. But the question is, are you African enough, not are you Black enough? Blackness is not a question because I'm also heavily involved in the hip-hop community from birth. Black American culture is a culture in itself, and I don't think it gets recognized as a serious culture, but it really is. And I don't even think they give themselves enough credit for that because they have a, they have their own dialect, their own food, their own attire. They literally have every aspect that a culture needs. And I don't think it's recognized as a main culture in the world when it should be. I do not have ties to generational black people in America. I don't have ties to American slavery. I don't have ties to the South. So I would not define myself as African-American. I would define myself as black, Nigerian-American, Nigerian, but not African-American. My definition of the word black is just an all-encompassing term for black people around the world. Whether you're black in Africa, whether you're black in the Caribbean, whether you're black in America, black in Europe, anyone who is black in any part of the world is what black is to me. Any ethnicity, any nationality, your race is black globally. African-American friends who don't want to be called African-American. They want to be called African. Even though they have generational ties to American slavery, they want to denounce the American entirely. And they just want to either be called Black or African. I think the racial tensions between Black and white in America have become so prominent in the last five years that it's propelled Black Americans to want to look outside of America. I think that Black Americans don't want to have anything to do with America at this point. So they're looking for the other. But I, ha I have this conversation a lot with, with African Americans. When I grew up, nobody wanted to be African. It just started being cool, believe it or not. To call someone an African was an insult for such a long time. So I'm just getting used to the fact that it's okay to be African now, that it's almost I don't want to say it's trendy now, but it is really popular. And it's amazing because this is literally my first time being in a world that's accepting Africanness. I'm lucky and I'm privileged to know where I come from. 
Because I know it hurts black people so much to not know where they come from, to not know what country their family originates from, to not know what tribe their family originates from. I'm so lucky to have that in my household. Iviani is a freelance journalist in New York City. Kiana Jay was born in New Mexico. She was raised by a single mother who was Native American, part Oglala Sioux and part Athabascan. Kiana's mother was a social worker and died when Kiana was 18 years old. Kiana submitted photographs of two family heirlooms to Historically Black. One is a small silver bracelet decorated with turquoise. The other is a cradle board, a traditional baby carrier used by Native peoples. My mom carried me in that cradle board, and it was from there that I watched her interact with the world. It was from there that I got my first up-high perspective. As a child, Kiana lived in a small village in northern New Mexico and then in Albuquerque. Her father was Black. She barely knew him. I was always being told, especially once I started school, like, oh, you're Black, you're Black. Little kids, like, telling me I was Black or that I was African-American, and I didn't really agree (laughs) at that age even. I would have described myself pretty strictly as Native American. My mom, she has this long, dark raven hair. It's beautiful, straight, thick. And I remember wishing so badly that my hair would lay down that way instead of stick up how it did. And wishing that when I was walking with my mom, that people would know. I wanted so badly for people to know that she was my mom, because I knew how different we looked. Everywhere I went, I stood out. I didn't have a lot of TV growing up, and so I wasn't watching movies. I wasn't watching things that really exposed me at all to black culture or black people and I didn't have black people around me I didn't have that sort of representation so it's not one that I took on myself but as I got older got into high school started taking in more culture I sort of thought okay maybe I I look like that I look black but I'm not this is how I appear but it's not it doesn't match the inside And then I moved to Los Angeles and got more active on Tumblr. I'd made a post about something that I learned in school, and all of a sudden there was the support of Black Tumblr. I didn't even know what it was. It was not an an audience that I was trying to reach. And so that really got the ball rolling here in Los Angeles and realizing there's this whole community, there's this whole community of support that... I didn't even know I had. Native culture can be very exclusive. And I think to fully belong to it growing up, I had to be totally absorbed by it. But Black culture is much more accepting of people who even might kind of belong to it. I was being embraced as an equal almost immediately. All I had to do was be there, and it was so comfortable, and I thought, wow, I've really been missing out. I've really been missing out on an entire culture, entire history, 
It made me really sad that I didn't grow up with my dad and that side of my family because I think I would have not felt so alone. Because it was hard. It was hard not looking like anybody that I grew up with. I have several half-siblings, and we share a dad, and I'm very close with them. They all live in Southern California as well. And walking around with my sisters, <laughs> we all look very similar. We're all, um, you know, tan girls with crazy big curly hair. And walking with them for the first time was indescribable. I felt for the first time like I really belonged somewhere. A lot of times I'm asked like, oh, you're like, you're really pretty. What do you mix with? Being asked, what are you, is very irritating to me. It's very, very irritating because it makes me feel like a spectacle. It's the same thing if people ask if they can come up and touch my hair. That happens every day. And that makes me feel like a pet. It's usually white people, but sometimes it's black people, which, of course, I feel less upset about. It's it's not as, like, dehumanizing, I guess. I already feel like I have more in common with them, and so I feel less... I just feel less annoyed. I've had conversations with white people where I've been told, oh, but you're only you're only half black, right? And I say, oh, well, I guess I can only have half of an opinion about this. I think it's not so much that I only feel half the pain of each culture, it's a, or half the joy of each culture. I feel all the pain and all the joy from both sides. And so I just, I pretty much just refuse to be made to choose. That's Kiana Jay. Kiana works as a behavioral specialist in Los Angeles County Schools. She is also a songwriter and model. Race is an invented category, but one that shapes a person's life and opportunities in the United States, along with social acceptance and self-perception. Writer Jelani Cobb says that as long as race remains a salient factor in American life, we need to keep talking about it. We can't just kind of take a detour and say, oh, great, you know, we were able to uh, find a road that took us around this racial issue. I think it's something that we have to go directly into uh, if we have any hope of ever coming out of it. That's it for this week. You've been listening to Historically Black, a podcast collaboration of APM Reports and The Washington Post. It was produced by Kate Ellis and Stephen Smith and edited by Mary Beth Kirshner. We had production help from Kai Thomas, Mitch Hanley, Ryan Katz, and Larissa Anderson. The Washington Post staff includes Julia Carpenter, Veronica Tony, Jessica Stahl, and Tahid Chappelle. Our theme music is by X144. If you would like to contribute to our online museum of objects from African-American history, it's easy. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash historicallyblack. We'll be back next week. I'm Roxanne Gay. <laughs>